Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau. And I am talking with Holly Peterson, who is the chef and chocolatier of Flourish Custom Events and Flourish Chocolates in the Napa Valley. Holly. Hi. This is great to be with you. I'm delighted to see you, Michelle. Thank you so much for including me in these wonderful podcasts. Of course. I am so honored that you could find some time to sit down with me today. You are an amazing woman, a great chef, and a fantastic chocolatier. Let's tell everybody your story now. Thank you. I grew up in the wine industry. My dad's a winemaker. I know. And so I always admired so much what he did and ended up going to UC Davis. I know. I think that's, I think a lot of people don't know that. (laughs) I think it's shocking. (laughs) It was was fun. I ended up writing an individual major, which was, uh, it kind of encompassed, well, it did encompass uh, enology, viticulture, uh, marketing and communication. And after that, I moved over to France. I worked in the wine industry in many capacities, in the cellar, in the lab, um, and for Stephen Spurrier in Paris, doing wine tastings, teaching classes. So it was really a wonderful wine uh, experience and background. So you grew up in the wine industry. Yes. You got an education in wine. Yes. You dabbled in it. Why didn't you pursue a career? Well, I thought I was because um, I was working in the wine industry at Krug and um, at uh, Mucho Rochille and some pretty beautiful places over in France. Also, I worked in the United States as well. And then when I started working for Stephen Spurrier at L'Académie du Vin, living in Paris, I fell in love with the food. And all of a sudden, it was the art I was looking for because I was so, you know, I was good with science. So in the wine industry, I was always squirreled away up into the lab doing titrations and, you know, or I was in the cellar carrying heavy hoses for pump overs and it's wet and it's cold. And, you know, winemaking isn't all it's cracked up to be. Um, (laughs) uh, And so, you know, I just fell in love with the food. And it was such an easy transition because I was teaching a class at the time in uh, the regions of France in English. So uh, L'Académie du Vin, they had one class in English for international students. Turned out they were all chefs. They were all culinary students. And at the end of this six-week course, they invited me to the various culinary schools as a thank you. So the very first one I went to, I went to all of them, but the very first one I went to, there he was, Chef Ferré from Maxime's making souffle. And I thought, oh my God, this is the art I've been looking for. I was so excited about it. And I applied the next week for the um, stage position, which was a simultaneous uh, translation from French to English. So I translated the cooking demonstrations and the cooking classes in exchange for my Grand Diplôme de Cuisine course, which was very expensive at the time. And I had just graduated from college, and my parents were, you know, they paid for college, but I was on my own as soon as you graduate from college. So this one was on me. So I was thrilled to get the job. 
and to find a way to um, pay for pay for it (laughs) and to do something that I was so excited about. You found your passion. I did. And then carried on and worked in, um, you know, after I got my Grand Diploma de Cuisine, you know, I got many uh, interesting opportunities at at the um, American Embassy. I was their chef and helped open a restaurant in Paris that earned one star in the first year, uh, La Truffière. I think it has two stars now. It might be higher. Truffière, like truffle, the truffle garden, Truffière. T-R-U-F-F-I-E-R-E. I'll yeah. never be able to say La it as truffier. well as you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to try. And they had a huge, fat, black cat named Truff. <laughs> and he was so cute. He would sit by the fireplace. And, you know, here, it would be ridiculous to have a cat in the uh, dining room. And Truff had fabulous manners. He never begged in the kitchen. And we, we found that very, uh, you know, very dignified of him. <laughs> uh, and so we never gave him treats or anything like that. He was just sort of the mascot of the restaurant. Mm. And, and it was a, a wonderful experience. And How were you ever persuaded to leave France? Well, you know, after working for a number of two and three star chefs, which was a wonderful experience, I was actually working at a three star in Germany at the time, in Munich, um, Tantris, uh, with Chef Winkler. And he was the youngest chef to ever get three stars. Um, he was 29 at the time. And that was a pretty big deal. Um, you know, French three star, of course. And um, so I, I loved it. And I had an opportunity to go to a two star in uh, Italy, in Milano, um, uh, Marchese, where they were probably going to their third star, which anybody in the industry knows, boy, that's the time you want to work for a chef because everybody is knocking themselves out trying for that three star, that third star, because that makes a really big difference. So I I got that job, but I needed a, um, came home for my sister's wedding and I needed a um, knee operation at the time. And lo and behold, as fate would have it, I ran into Bob Mondavi, who uh, we had a lengthy conversation, and he said, you've got to come work for us. You've got to come. We're right on the cusp. We don't have anything really going on in wine and food, but boy, do I have dreams. And you're, the way you talk about wine and food, I think, I think you're the one. And so he talked me into creating a job. Uh, food and wine dynamics. So I was their wine and food educator. They they had a a, a wonderful chef uh, who cooked lunches. Uh, very simple, kind of Alice Waters kind of style. You know, really pure, beautiful ingredients. Um, Annie Roberts and she did a beautiful job with that. Um, and then they had me doing wine and food events where I really tailored the food to the wine and did it all over the world. So. We can thank Robert Mondavi for swaying <laughs> you to leave Europe behind. Marquese, yeah. Well, not forever, but for a time, you know. Yes. And so then uh, being here, I kind of segued into chocolate by doing, you know, after I worked for them and did all of those things, I started a company called Flourish. And yes. that's so, the special event company. Right. Yeah. So when did you when did you do that? Oh gosh. And what must, prompted you to do I that? Well, because I you know, I had um, I was on the opening team at CIA 
and got that going and worked there about 10 years uh, with the food and wine department there and really loved that opportunity. Um, it, it was very exciting uh, with Ferdinand Metz when he first started up uh, CIA in the United States. And, you know, after that, I had so many people asking me to do custom events. Uh, so not like a caterer where you have a set menu, but really a custom special event where you kind of create a once-in-a-lifetime event. And they can be anywhere in the world. And, you know, and it's basically someone's dream. And I love those challenges. And having traveled extensively for uh, uh, Bob and Davi doing all of these events, I was pretty comfortable with uh, foreign countries at that point being a guest chef um, but in charge of every event that I did. So I was a guest chef in some fancy, you know, restaurant or hotel, um, but it was my menu and everybody worked for me for that particular dinner, right? So it was just sort of a natural, as, as life unfolds, you know how it goes. Um, it was a very natural, organic way of creating this company out of uh, requests. And then as soon as I started doing them, I loved it. I really loved it. And um, and so I, I'm still doing these events today. And then when did you get the chocolate bag? So <laughs> chocolate, the chocolate started because one of my um, clients, the V Foundation, mm. had asked me to do a dinner um, that I, I was already committed to doing an event on, on the East Coast, and I don't farm out any of my events. So all of my events, I'm, I am on staff. I am, you know, running the kitchen, and I am hands-on. So I declined it. I couldn't do it. And they said, well, could you at least do a, um, a truffle for us, a chocolate or something at the end? Because I, I had worked extensively on cancer-fighting ingredients, um, cancer-fighting menus, and did quite a bit of that in the medical industry uh, for fundraisers and galas and things like that. So anyway, they asked me for a truffle in my inner dialogue. Now, nobody be offended by this. But I said, a truffle, I bet I could shoot a little higher because a truffle, you know, I, I'll give you the recipe right now. It's so simple. It's cream and chocolate. And anybody can make a truffle. Uh, you roll it in cocoa afterwards. And um, if you want, I'll give you a good truffle recipe for all of your readers that they can make at home, which is fun to do at Christmas or holidays or whatever. Um, to have a, you know, a homemade truffle. But I thought, gosh, they don't need me to do that. They could have anybody do that. And so I was thinking about their spokesperson for the year, which was... Um, Robin who, Roberts. Robin Roberts, yeah. And so I was thinking about her name and Robin's eggs, um, I thought would just be perfect because an egg uh, signifies new life, new birth, new hope. And it was the perfect symbol for cancer, cancer fighting, and a rebirth and all of that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do these robin egg chocolates. Each one's going to be hand-painted, you know, always um, wanting to make it very special for people. And we're, we eat with our eyes as well. And... Um, and I wanted to fill them with cancer-fighting ingredients, and that's exactly what I did. Okay, so this all sounds fine, but it was a huge project. And, <laughs> and, and I had another chocolatier make them for me, and, you know, and... Um, you know, at the end of it, people were saying, okay, these were good. We would like more. 
And that chocolatier really wasn't able to do more. And then I went to another chocolatier, and they made them for me for about a year, and they were wonderful. And then finally at the end, they're like, Holly, we can't do this anymore. And, you know, it was one of those roadblocks where I thought, oh, no, please, please don't leave me. But actually it was the best gift in the world because then I could start my own chocolate company, my own chocolate shop, and make them myself, which is really something I love doing. And, um, you know, opened a whole new door. So since then, you know, I've had Flourish Chocolate now for about five years. And um, and I started off with just the nine flavors of Robin Eggs. And now I'm up to, like, I don't know, 14 collections and 50-some-odd flavors. And it's just been um, really, really rewarding. Um, well, and it's such a... I would imagine just so creative because there's so many different shapes and flavors and they're so beautiful and decadent and I love the iridescent colors. Thank you. I I like flavor is fantastic out of this world. I'm so happy you like them, Michelle. You know, it's one of those things that I think I, I feel a little bit like a florist where you make people happy. Um, you know, it's always such a delight when someone sends you flowers, even if it's for a sad reason, it does brighten your day. And if it's a happy reason, it makes your day even better. And if it's for no reason, you think, oh my gosh, how lucky am I? And so I kind of feel, you know, a kindred spirit with, with florists because I get it. I understand. Yes, we work hard during holidays. Absolutely. Um, but they're joyous. You know, we handwrite every gift note on every box of chocolate. And we get to see these beautiful sentiments that people write to each other. And especially during COVID, I have to say, it's been absolutely heartwarming um, because people have not been able to get together. And so they've been sending each other chocolate and writing these basic love letters and, and appreciation notes that just make my day a joy every single day either making the chocolate or or sending it out to people that I'm hoping are going to have a great big smile on their face when they receive them. I'm confident that they've got a great big smile on their face because <laughs> anyone that receives your chocolates could have nothing but a smile. Thank They're you. fantastic. Thank you. You probably won't like this question. All right. <laughs> Every chocolate is special, but is there a hidden gem that uh, you can tell us about? Yes. Yes, I can. That maybe gets overlooked? Absolutely. What um, is it? Well, uh, you know, so I'm a, I have a confession to make. I'm a little bit of, oh my gosh. which you probably already could tell, but I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. And <laughs> you're, yes, I am. You're a science nerd. I am kind of a nerd. And but when you know I, what? She's first... a really pretty <laughs> nerd. <laughs> so when I first started working with chocolate, like professionally, which is different um, when you have a chocolate company versus a chef doing events, right? I only use chocolate for souffles or you know, pretty little desserts, but it really wasn't like being a true chocolatier. So I had an awful lot to learn and, um, and I wanted to learn. So I dove in and when you open a chocolate company, all of a sudden, all of these big companies want your business, even though I'm tiny, they still want your business because they know that at some point you're probably going to grow if you do a good job. And if you're looking at high quality chocolate, which I was, 
So I was sent, oh, I don't know, 300 dark chocolates alone from these top chocolate um, producers. And, um, you know, people like Valrona and Coco Berry and Caibo, you know, the um, kind of the top echelon of chocolates. There's a huge list. And each one, of course, makes many, many chocolates of every version. So I treated it like a wine tasting. And I tasted all 300 dark chocolates blind. And I set them up in flights of 10 chocolates at a time. So I tasted them blind. So every chocolate had a number and a code. Took me forever. (laughs) Um, And uh, anyway, so it took me two weeks to actually finish the tasting. Mm -hmm. And I kept uh, re-numbering my favorite. If there was a chocolate that won a particular tasting, then it would get re-numbered and go into the final tasting. So what I learned, which was just eye-opening... Um, is that there is so much chocolate, base chocolate, that is so bitter, uh, so chalky, sour, acrid, so many negative, nasty flavors um, that I never realized until you taste them side by side. Just as we know, when you taste a number of varietals, say you taste nothing but Chardonnay side by side, wow, it's illuminating Mm -hmm. to see how very different they are. Same is true with chocolate. So I went through, and so... Here's what I came away with. There are, there's, I'm just going to tell you, not my least favorites, but I will tell you what I fell in love with. What I fell in love with for my palate was uh, the chocolates that have a deep, luscious, rich, chocolatey flavor. They ha- they, because it's a dark chocolate, I want there to be some bitterness, but I don't want it to be sharp and harsh. And... Um, I found this chocolate that just kept winning every single tasting. And, you know, long story short, it it turns out that this is a long-fermented chocolate. Now, most people don't even know that chocolate undergoes fermentation. This is the exciting part. It's so similar to wine. No wonder I love it. Um, It's an organic product. It goes through, uh, you know, this extended fermentation, but there was only one, and that was my favorite. And so the the, (laughs) coffee, the chocolate beans were from, um, are from uh, Africa, and it actually is their ultimate reserve. So sort of like our greatest reserves of Cabernet, they might actually be a blend of a number of different vineyards. The same is true with chocolate, with this particular chocolate. So, of course, I found the absolute superlative, the top, you know, most expensive. And I thought, who cares? I'm using it for, I'm glad to know this, and I'm using it for all of my shells. So that's what's in my tempering machine. And so all of my chocolates have this special long-fermented chocolate um, on the shell. Then my interiors are ganaches, and inside the ganache, and ganache is basically a truffle mm-hmm. blend of chocolate and either cream or like with my vegan chocolates are just fruit juices, so pomegranate or guava juice, um, coconut milk. So there, you know, there are many different types of ganaches, but basically there's no sugar added. Okay. So I don't add sugar. It's not candy. So sometimes, you know, my sister even teases me that cause she knows I don't like it when people say, Oh, you make candy. And it's like, no, I make chocolate. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is a difference. Yeah. So I make chocolate. And so my chocolates are chocolate. 
Yeah. And the hidden gem is the long fermented chocolate. And, and which that, ones are those? All of my oh, chocolate. All, because so there the is show no because so gem. how I make <laughs> so how I make the chocolate is first I pour the shell. Right. And so they all all of my chocolates are laced with my favorite dark chocolate. Then the interior of the chocolate are all the different flavored ganaches. Right. And then I seal it with my special long fermented chocolate again. And that's our signature chocolate is the Flourish dark chocolate. Okay. And so that is, I think, our success to why all of our flavors are are just so emollient and long on the palate and rich and lush. Even if it's a white chocolate ganache interior or a milk chocolate ganache interior, because there is that very thin shell of dark chocolate, it adds a richness. And I find that more and more people aren't saying, well, I'm a dark chocolate lover or I'm a white chocolate or a, well, you don't hear that very often, but, or a dark chocolate lover. Um, they just eat the chocolate and say, wow, that's delicious. And that's what I'm looking for. So basically there isn't a hidden gem because they're all gems. Because <laughs> they're all special. Well, we call the, we call the mixed box now the jewel box <laughs> because they're, they're chocolate jewels. You're they really, are jewels. at first we were going to call them like the Tiffany of chocolate because they are hand painted and they are iridescent. And then I thought, Ooh, I don't know if Tiffany's going to like that, but I wouldn't mind teaming up with them at some point if they hear this, you know, Absolutely. that would be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask, you've had a spectacular career. What's a top moment of your career so far that you can speak of? You, I feel like you've had several, but is there one real standout that you can I don't share? know about that. Um, you know, I have a funny one um, that was, you know, I think some of the more unusual requests are kind of funny. Um, really, because, you know, there's always a challenge. And as far as our guests know, everything is, is flawless and they love it. And you never, they never get to see the stress behind the scenes. Um, but I was asked to do, um, actually it was Bob Mondavi's, uh, I think it was his 80th birthday party on the Orient Express. And um, what they didn't tell me back then was that the Orient Express, you hear a term like that and you think, oh my gosh, it's spectacular, it's fancy, and everything's going to be wonderful. And so, I, of course, I said, yes, I would be happy to do this. Well, it was for 180 people and, um, you know, no pressure, all in the industry and um, global industry. And, and I got there and it turned out after I made this extremely elaborate seven course meal um, they don't actually have a working kitchen they hadn't had a working kitchen in years what they had been doing for about maybe 10-15 years uh, ever since sous vide was available is they were getting the food they were making the food in an outside kitchen and they would package it sous vide you know in the little plastic boil in a bag bags they would warm it, cut off the plastic bag, put it on a beautiful Orient Express plate, garnish it with a sprig of herb, and send it, and people were charmed. And so um, that's what I walked into. And so, you know, here I was a week ahead of time uh, to do all of the prep, and I brought one sous chef with me, and I said I would hire the entire Pullman Orient Express team. Well, they were thrilled because none of them cooked, and they were hoping to learn something. 
And uh, and I just saw this monumental uh, task ahead of me, and I have to say, it aged me. It aged me a lot in in one week. And when I got on the train, um, the conductor said, "Don't worry about it. We do have an oven. It's just you know an old oven." Well, you know the French term "old" means really old, and what this translated to was coal. Burning oh, Lordy. oven. Have you even heard of a coal burning oven? Well, I've nobody has. No, <laughs> I was trying to think. I mean, have I? I? Think <laughs> no, maybe my grandfather has. I don't know, but it was um, alarming at best. And uh, and so the and how could you monitor that? Oh well, the conductor had a walkie-talkie. This is before cell phones, and I had a walkie-talkie. Yeah, but you need some sort of temperature gauge, right? And this is what he explained very carefully to me: that the faster the train goes, the hotter the oven. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> Great. That's what I thought too. So I would be in the back, you know, with my sous chef, us exchanging glances, like, "Are you kidding me?" and trying not to swear, mm-hmm. and drinking as much water as possible <laughs> because it was so incredibly hot like an inferno and I would be speaking with the conductor saying un peu plus vite s'il vous plaît you know speed up and he's like comment comment what what I can't hear you and so you know basically we were taking food in and out of the oven working like dogs trying to you know do all of this long story short we would be covered so we did prep all week we would be covered in black soot by the end of the day, drinking tons of water, changing our chef coats constantly. Um, and it was just absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done. And, we, you know, they didn't have a walk-in. And so they gave me the Lalique room, the beautiful Lalique room. And we tarped it over with plastic, chilled it down. Um, and that was my walk-in. And so that's where we did all of our salads and gamoge. Then they gave me another Lalique room. They had like three or four of them. And they gave me those, too, because they could hold up to moisture and um, and cold better than the fabric of the, you know, of the furnishings and the other train cars. So that's what we did. So I had a walk-in room, and then I had a garmoger room, all Lalique rooms covered in this beautiful, you know, this the beautiful Lalique was covered. I mean, huge the walls of Lalique. They're gorgeous, gorgeous crystal walls. But we covered everything with plastic, thick plastic like painter's plastic, oh my and tarped the floor, and now we're little worker bees back there. And and it was just, you know, one of those things that when you live through it, you just think, you can't believe it. You know, you just can't believe it. And when people are all smiles and saying, that was amazing, and they have no idea what I was thinking is, you have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> so that's probably <laughs> the funniest, hardest. And yeah, that did leave an impression. Definitely an impression. Yeah, I'm not sure it. it's a top moment of your career. No, but it, it was. But you know what's funny is sometimes the most memorable things, moment. <laughs> it makes you proud of yourself that you could pull it off, that yes. you could do it, keep calm under pressure, and that I had my fabulous sous chef, and that the rest of the crew, they were teary eyed with pride with their own work because everybody rolled up their sleeves. They could all see what we were, and I think they felt bad that they hadn't told me there was no real oven. <laughs> Well, they should have. (laughs) So you could have made an informed decision on how to proceed. (laughs) Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's talk about your personal life here in in the Napa Valley. Yeah. You live in Calistoga. I do. How did you choose Calistoga? 
Why did I choose Calistoga? You could have lived anywhere. Yeah, well, I was working in Napa Valley, and you know the house that was for sale at the time that I, when I was shopping, was in Calistoga on the shady side of uh, the valley, which is so pretty. And it was very private, yet very close to town. And I just loved it. So it was easy. But I I was open to anywhere in the Napa Valley. But you know how it is when you're looking for a home. You shop what's available at the time. And that's what I found. Okay. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Um, It's definitely French. Um, California, you know, definitely light, uh, tall ceilings, open, airy. Um, very light, light gray uh, uh, paint on the walls with a, a lighter trim. Um, so very fresh and light colors, lots of art. I love art. And so I have a wonderful, um, wonderful art on the walls. I have a koi pond as a welcome uh, to my home and big, beautiful, colorful koi. I've done uh, events in Hawaii for years. And I've always loved koi, and I love fish, I love oceanography, I love scuba diving. And so um, so these koi are just a gorgeous little welcome, a little bridge you walk over to the front door. And um, yeah, big open deck. My garden is full of um, antique, uh, uh, very rare trees, fruit trees, things that um, I like to use for my events that I usually cannot buy in the market. So... Right now, I have zebra-striped figs that are ripe, that are yellow and chartreuse green stripe on the outside and bright raspberry interiors. And I have pink pearl apples. And, um, you know, it's always something different every season that I have available. So my garden is is edible and it's organic, uh, like all of my food. And um, and it's just, you know... Uh, it, it, Fun. I like I like I like it out there. It's, it sounds fabulous. <laughs> when you relax, and I hope you do, <laughs> where do you retreat to? Oh, that would be on the back of a horse. Um, <laughs> so I love I love riding, and um, right now um, I'm riding a, a beautiful black Frisian. Uh, she's actually from Holland. Her name's Marika, and she's pretty magnificent. Aww. And um, and I'm also uh, teaching riding lessons, uh, which I love. I've been riding for years and uh, competed in the A circuit uh, across the country and uh, for many, many, many years, and um, love it. So I'm the happiest on the back of a horse. I think I, I in any style really of riding. Whether it's a trail trial, whether it's a, a jumping competition, dressage, or just on a trail ride with friends. Um, you know, it's just a, a lovely place to be is, is out in nature uh, with, with animals and friends and all of that. Yeah. That's, I didn't know that about you. Well, curious, do you have a hobby? So probably my favorite hobbies are, um, you know, they're... Really, I love scuba diving. Um, that's something that I absolutely love. But I only get to do that when I am in warm water places. I grew up. I, I really, after living, growing up in Napa Valley for high school, we moved to Monterey. So I was in high school during those, um, you know, four years of, of, of school. And that's where I learned how to scuba dive. 
and it was part of my PE class was diving, uh, which go figure in Monterey. It was just wonderful. So yeah. I learned how to dive in cold water. And, you know, now that I've been diving in warm water for many years since then, I really love it. And every now and then I'll do cold water dives. Like when we went to the Galapagos, it's like, okay, that's worth it. Um, but it's nothing's as cold as Monterey, really, where you feel like you're in a spacesuit and you have so much neoprene, you can't move. Oh, and um, and the visibility, you know, Monterey's gorgeous, though. I mean, the kelp beds oh, on yeah. good days, it is it is truly magical. But I'm kind of a, a, a warmer water diver now. So that's definitely a favorite hobby. You've traveled extensively. Yes. Is there a memorable trip that you can tell us about? Yeah, I think probably one of my favorite places is Bhutan. And um, doing a trek with some very dear friends. Um, we started a group called Lust for Life, and we raised money for um, cancer uh, research. And one of our dear friends, Elaine Mackey, who was... Um, with the vintners uh, for years, and she died at 39 of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so a small group of us gals in the valley, all in the wine industry, decided to, uh, we wanted to raise money in her name, in her honor. And, um, well, we thought instead of a walkathon, how about if we do something bigger than that? Because Elaine was big and bigger than life. And we thought, let's go vertical feet instead of, um, you know, lateral feet. So we started hiking big mountains. And uh, anyway, the last one that we did together was Bhutan. And so not only was it a super special trip, and this was at least 10 years ago, um, but one of the favorite things was going up to the tiger's nest, which is this, um, you know, monastery, a Buddhist monastery. And it's just so uh, precious, I think. You know, it's very precious. And when we were there, there still weren't very many tourists, although now there are more. And we've got to be careful about these things because before there were tourists, there there wasn't litter because they didn't import, you know, the, it was really closed to any kind of tourism. So they're, they made all of their own food. They didn't have packaged food. And with packaged food comes packaged uh, packaging, wrappers. And so, you know, the people were so used to just eating a piece of fruit and dropping the skin because it's biodegradable. They would do that with a, a wrapper of some other food. And then all of a sudden there's litter. And so, you know, I tell you this with a kind of a heavy heart because, you know, you want to go to these beautiful remote places and it's so precious, but boy, we have an impact wherever we go. And so there's, therein lies the responsibility of, you know, gosh, now what do we do um, with these things? And also, you know, they didn't have television. Now they have television. And then, uh, you know, it goes on and on. You have done quite a bit for, for cancer research yeah, and yeah, fundraising yeah, yeah. can you explain why it, it just fell into it you know I was I was working I you know had done a number of things for the St. Helena mm -hmm. Hospital I was on their board for a little bit and um, you know it was just something that just kept coming up with doctors for wine and you know a medical uh, groups for wine and it was just one of those things that um you know, I started off really with health, looking at like mm -hmm. the McDougal plan and, you know, there's Pritikin. There's so many different 
ways to try to live a healthier life. And I think I've done all of them. I am my own experiment um, with all of these foods and, you know, things. And I find it fascinating. I think food is really interesting. Not only can it be delicious, it can be comforting, it can, you know, nourishing, can be harmful, and it can be medicine. And so really, it started off food as as medicine was really how I looked at it. And then so much turned to that. I think it was more my clients were more uh, on that level. And so, you know, I always want to respond to what people ask for, what they need. And I did find it really interesting. Well, I just didn't know um, with the Robin Roberts and then your this fitner that passed away in yeah. her 30s. I just didn't know if perhaps you had also lost a family member and why no. cancer has um, seemed to be a, a common theme. Gosh, I think so. it is for all of us. I think we right. all know somebody who has, um, has you know, has struggled lost. with mm-hmm. it or lost or something, but um, no, for me it was more, you know, the just the, yeah, and, and I've never met Robin Roberts. I mean, I wasn't at the event. Uh, my chocolates were at the event, um, but uh, but no, I you know it was just I think about you know when I have projects that someone says okay we have this special event, I think it over. I don't respond right away. I think it over, mm-hmm. and I want to make something interesting, different, special. I don't read food magazines. I don't watch food shows. Um, I try to just keep my own ideas as fresh as possible because otherwise we're all copying each other. Right. And I, I like, I'm, I like to create, uh, my own, my own ideas. Same thing with my chocolates and recipes. Um, they're all my own. And if I look too much at what other people are doing, it can, it influences you. And I like just having my own style mm-hmm. and there's plenty of room for all of us, right. um, you know, plenty of room for everybody. So it warrants the question, what's ahead for you? What's, what's on the horizon? Oh, gosh. Um, so I am so happy where I am right now. Uh, things are good. They're finally opening up again. It feels like our our world is becoming more aware and um, hopefully healthier. And I know we have a long way to go, but it's certainly nice to not be sequestered through COVID and I'd love to do more, more events, uh, grow the company, the chocolate company. I'd love to have more people working in here with me, train up some more chocolatiers and expand and um, keep riding horses and training and jumping and all of those good things, seeing my friends and family. You know, there's just a lot good, a lot really good. Yeah. Well, you just keep going (laughs) (laughs) and on that note we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions okay Okay. um they're very lighthearted, holly so um you just gotta go with the flow here what's your favorite flower i love irises because of the their elegant beauty but i actually really like my birth flower, which is Narcissus, because it's so aromatic. And I know most people do not like super strong flowers, but I love them. Um, I love really aromatic flowers. And um, so I love, I love those. I just think they're, they're gorgeous. They smell good. They fill the room with aroma. 
and I usually can't use anything aromatic at wine and food events because no. it interferes <laughs> with the wine. So at home, I wear perfume and I, you know, have flowers that have, you know, lilies that have aroma or roses that have aroma. I just do it up. Okay. These are supposed to be quick questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> Second question. What's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. <laughs> Third question. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a BMW X5 diesel. <laughs> okay. What song do you like to dance to? I love country music. And who is one of your favorite actors? I love Harrison Ford. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Fabulous. <laughs> And he's aged so well. Oh, he's wonderful. (laughs) He is. Holly, you have been a delight. This has been so much fun. Thank you for your time and all your fabulous chocolates. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.